Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I've got a big brain. Chuck has a big brain. Mine is smaller than yours. That's true. You know who had an average-sized brain? I do. Who? Albert Einstein. Fantastic. So we've got our segue. Right. Let's talk about (laughs) Einstein's brain, Chuck. That's a good idea. (laughs) All start, apparently. All right, you ready? Yeah. Einstein was very well aware of his renown, right? As a, I don't sure. think he, was, he he may have been a hyper intelligent person, but I don't think he had a big head. But right. he was aware of the kind of cult of personality that the world loves. Right. Yeah. Right? He was aware of his own fame. Yeah, and he didn't want to end up just some you know uh, venerated saint of mathematics. Mm-hmm. So he asked that he his uh, body uh, be cremated upon his death. In 1955? Yeah, April 18th, 1955, the the day the year the Earth stood still. Um, and uh, he, he said specifically he didn't want people to come worship at his bones. Yeah, I, I was kind of taking it. I thought that sounded a little cocky, but, you know. A, a, a little, but, uh, it's Einstein, again, yeah, sure. I don't think he, he was a very cocky right. fellow. Right. I don't want people to worship at my bones either, so yeah. something we have in common. I could live with that, actually. You could, yeah. That'd be fine. You want people to worship at your bones. Kind of. Yeah. So um, Einstein's wish was 98% fulfilled, if we're speaking weight-wise, because the right. brain actually makes up about 2% of the body weight on average. So it uh, sounds to me like you're saying he's buried without his brain. Yes, he was, my friend. <laughs> did you know that? I did. Of course you did. So, Chuck, this guy who was, as far as I could tell, a pretty standard pathologist. Uh-huh. Um, working at Princeton University's hospital, uh, was charged with doing the autopsy on Einstein. And I guess he was kind of struck with this moment of inspiration where he realized that he was holding Einstein's brain. Right. And that surely this brain had some sort of secrets to... Yeah, to some value to be impart. studied. Yes, yeah. yeah, there had to be something here. This guy, I mean, Einstein was just as... as big as it gets he he you know so many other physicists had come before him and were were just um had gotten all of their their genius out very early on newton did it and einstein did it to a certain extent but he he also did continue working you know longer than was average right um and this guy just wanted no he just couldn't bring himself to cremating the brain of the smartest man of the 20th century i might have been with him there you know yeah so thomas thomas harvey thomas harvey thomas harvey stole einstein's brain no one can sue us for that because it really happened. Oh, it did. It did. So Harvey basically takes Einstein's brain, I imagine throws it in some formaldehyde uh-huh. in a jar, and um, holds it hostage until he gets permission from one of Einstein's sons to study it. Right. I saw a head in a bucket once. Tell me about it. Did I ever tell you that story? <laughs> little sidebar. Uh, yeah, it was, uh, when I was working in the film industry in Los Angeles and I was doing some work at a, I guess I won't mention the hospital. They might not, uh, might frown upon hearing this broadcast, but, uh, a hospital in LA, we were doing a job there and one of the researchers pulled me aside and said, Hey man, you want to see a head in a bucket? And, uh, I said, yeah, I'd love to see a head in a bucket. No doubt. Took me in a room, uh, brought out a bucket and it had this, you know, elderly man's head floating in it. And it wasn't in a jet glass jar. It was an open bucket with no lid, and I looked down into it, to this head. Was he looking up at you? Uh, no, he wasn't. 
That is the most amazing thing that anyone I know has ever just, done. Just want to get that out there. That is very, sweet. very surreal. That's yeah, I'll bet it was. And Do slightly you, does disturbing. It haunt you? Uh, it doesn't haunt me, but I can picture it in my mind's eye still. And that was just, you know probably five years ago. Easy. How's he looking? Milky eyes. He looked like an old guy with you know without a body. Yeah, in a in a, in a bucket. bucket. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, Sorry I'm for that su- sidebar. I'm surprised I thought that was to everybody else. Appropriate. <laughs> I had no idea. Okay. Well, um, suddenly Einstein's brain doesn't seem nearly as cool. Right. Um, well, I guess we'll just talk about it anyway, right? Yeah, let's do. So um, Harvey's got Einstein's brain in a glass jar, and now he's secured permission to study it. Mm-hmm. So he cuts it into like 240 pieces, as far as I understand. Yeah, 240. And uh, he encases them all. He preserves them in celloidin. Right. Well, he weighed it first. First, he did a few um, measurements just right. to make sure. And photographed. You're right. Yeah, and, and heavily photographed just to make sure that there was nothing that stood out. And nothing did. It weighed about the same yeah. as any other brain. The, the, he also, I think, did a, a study first of the um, the brain cells. Uh-huh. They, were, they were average size. Yep. There was an average amount of them. By, by all uh, rights, Einstein's brain looked... Pretty average. Exactly. But, you know, Harvey uh, quickly became obsessed mm-hmm. with the notion that Einstein's brain was not average, that there was something fundamentally different about it right. that we could point to. And who knows? I mean, maybe if we can figure out how Einstein's brain was different, we can start, you know, borrowing geniuses yeah. or something like that. Um, so Harvey cuts this thing into pieces after he's cataloged it and documented it. And he starts sending it to researchers whose work uh, he finds interesting. These are people around the world, and each one, I imagine, was contacted first. I don't think they just got a piece of Einstein's right. brain in the mail, and they're like, what the hell is this? You know. Right. Um, so he'd contact them and say, I think your work's interesting. I've got Einstein's brain. I want to send you some pieces to study yeah. and compare it using your the, the view of your work. Yeah, I bet he didn't get a lot of uh, people that declined that opportunity. No, I wouldn't think so. I, I bet mean, he got Einstein's 100% rate brain, of yeah. sure. Yeah. So um, he's expecting very quickly that Einstein's brain's going to give up its secrets. And the waiting game began. It didn't. We have still to this day, I'm going to go ahead and cut to the end, the big finish. We're still not entirely certain how how Einstein's brain worked. Right. But, um, yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. Harvey under this obsession, basically uh, turns into something of a weirdo, actually. Kind of the Howard Hughes of pathology. Of brain uh, savers? Yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while, a, a reporter would um, would look him up, because he basically just disappeared with the brain. Right. Um, and one guy found him living in Kansas, um, and the brain was in a jar in an old cider box mm-hmm. uh, behind a beer cooler. Right. So... This guy, Harvey's probably, you know, taking orders from his cats and Einstein's right. brain's just sitting there chilling, <laughs> waiting to, you know, be studied again. Yeah. Finally, 30 years after Einstein's brain is stolen by Harvey, uh, he finds out about the work of this um, woman named Dr. Marion Diamond. You want to talk about Dr. Diamond, Chuck? Right. Dr. Diamond uh, worked at Cal Berkeley. And uh, studied the plasticity of the brain of rats' brains, mm-hmm. and she it's always can, the rats. It is. It, it feels really rats. bad for the rats. I, do I don't. Um, she found out that uh, rats um, that had more enriching environments uh, had more robust brains. Mm-hmm. Uh, specifically, the the glial, G L I A L, is how I'm pronouncing it. Glial cells. 
You glial. are. Yes. Is that correct? Yeah, you're right. <laughs> no neurosurgeon. I think it's glial. Yeah, it's a, we'll call it glial cells. Okay. Um, uh, so they had more glial cells in relation to their other neurons. And so she thought, let me t- take a look at Einstein's brain and see if the same thing holds. Now, glial cells are basically, um, they, they clean up this, uh, these potassium ions. Potassium is actually discharged by a neuron when it fires, right? right. So after time, the potassium kind of builds up. Mm-hmm. It's a waste product. And if it builds up enough, a neuron can't fire properly exactly. and it shuts down. Right. If you have enough glial cells to keep the neurons clean, then they should be able to fire properly. And by logic, the more glial cells you have, the more um, the, the smarter you should be because the cleaner right. your neurons are. Exactly. Right. And this is actually what she found was uh, that Einstein had a higher ratio of glial cells mm-hmm. uh, to other neurons. And uh, she basically hypothesized that this means that uh, – he had, you know, more rapidly firing neurons in other people. However, yeah, asked <laughs> and answered. No, not quite answered because she wasn't exactly comparing against like brains. Um, Einstein was older than the other brains. Yeah, and glial cells divide over the course of your lifetime. Right. So Einstein was what seventy six, seventy six when he died, and she was comparing the average age of the brain that she was comparing Einstein's brain to is sixty four. Right. So that right there is terrible methodology. Right. But that's not the end of it. That's not the end of it. Um, so, in theory, he would have more glial cells just because he's 12 years older than these other brains. And uh, she didn't uh, take into account IQ score either. Well, she didn't even know whose brains these were, as far as I know. Exactly. So she had no idea what kind of brain uh, intelligence level that she was comparing Einstein to. And even worse than that, apparently there's 28 ways to measure glial cells, and she threw out any measurement that didn't support her <laughs> hypothesis. Right. So I don't understand how this woman had funding. Yes. She was at UC Berkeley, too. I mean, the, she wasn't at, you know, like the Mexico City upstairs no. medical clinic. This is like what I did in my, in my seventh grade uh, science fair project. If the results you studied glial cells? Well, no, but if the study, if whatever I was doing, if the results didn't match up, I just didn't use them. Oh, know. yeah, sure. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that is, that's seventh grade science fair project stuff. Yeah. So, uh, basically. So throw that out of the water. Yeah, this, this comes out and, um, Harvey, I imagine, is a little dismayed by this and I, it probably ruined Dr. Diamond's career. Yeah, probably. Um, but uh, Harvey was a very patient, obsessed man, as we've said, and he continued to wait. And then finally, about 10 years, after the diamond thing, and this was hullabaloo. I mean, this is huge. Like, it was touted in newspapers all over the place, news media. Uh, everybody was like, we've got Einstein's right. brain figured out. And then it came out like her methodology so wasn't holding up. So, you know, there's a real high, and then, you know, there's an equal low. Um, and then about 10 years after that, uh, another woman's work, uh, this this woman's name was Dr. Sandra Whittleson. Mm, Britt Anderson? No, Britt Anderson turned Harvey onto Whittleson's work. Okay. I'm sorry, Britt Anderson. Just for the oh, sake geez. of time, I cut you out of the podcast. I wanted to mention you. Yeah, there's a guy named Britt Anderson at, at uh, University of Alabama, right? Yeah. So you go ahead with Britt Anderson. Right. Uh, well, Britt um, was studying the um, size of men and women's brains or and the differences. And, yeah, you're right. He turned him on to this other doctor. So Right, whose name was Dr. Sandra Whittleson, yes. right? She's at McMaster's University in uh, Ontario our fair neighbor to the north, and um, she basically 
She had a bunch of brains. Yeah, a nice collection of like brains. And she had data on all of them. Yeah. She knew whether the people were insane. She knew what their IQs were. Mm-hmm. Um, their she, age. She had a lot, yeah, she had a lot of uh, good data and some good brains to study to compare Einstein's brain to. Um, and actually, she had quite a breakthrough. She did. Um, there's this thing called the Sylvian fissure, and it separates your parietal lobe. Right. Yeah. Your parietal lobe is um, responsible for mathematical skills, spatial reasoning, uh, three-dimensional visualization, all of which would come in handy for a guy like Einstein. Yeah, he was the, pretty much the master of all those. So, if the Sylvan Fisher is absent or not pronounced, as Doctor Whittleson found Einstein's was, mm-hmm. um, the parietal lobe would be bigger. Yeah, you could pack more more brain cells in there. Right, and his was fifteen percent wider than, than yours the average or mine. brain. Yeah. Well, assuming we have average brains. Sure, exactly. Uh, which is assuming a lot because neither of us have been autopsied yet. True. So um, basically what Dr. Wilson said was, okay, we now know that uh, Einstein had a 15% wider parietal lobe than the average person. That could account for it. We don't know. Right. Basically what she's done is set a benchmark um, where brain research is going to have to catch up to to either prove or disprove because we don't have the technology to say – or we don't have a, a fundamental understanding of the brain yet to say whether right. that's what it was or not. Yeah. But it's nice to know it's out there. Yeah, exactly. There basically, was a difference. Yeah. A physical difference. Yeah, there definitely was. Dr. Whittleson uh, basically said, whenever you guys can catch up to it, here's what's different about Einstein's brain. Right. Very Prove cool. or disprove. Um, but our, our esteemed colleague, Molly Edmonds, brought up I thought what I thought was a very interesting point. Um, and that is that it's, it, it, is it dangerous to study things like physiological abnormalities? Um, she, she brings up, you know, if you really look at Einstein's brain, the parietal lobe, uh, especially with a lack of understanding of what it's exactly doing, um, then one could make the argument that a physician would have told Einstein's mother that her son's brain was damaged. Right. Which could have limited him for the rest of his life. He sure. may never have become a mathematician. Yeah. She may not even put him in school. Exactly. Why bother, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was a really interesting point and one worth discussing. Right, because, well, Einstein also had a delayed speech development. And so coupled with that, a parent might have been, you know, concerned. Yeah, oh, apparently he used to um, write his address down on his arm every day. Right. So when he inevitably get lost, um, he'd just kind of look and ask somebody if they could take him there. Right. He was a hell of a guy. Yeah. And uh, just a, a nice little bow on the end of this uh, gift to our listeners. Uh, the uh, Harvey actually returned the brain before he died to Princeton Hospital, which mm-hmm. I thought he died in 1990. Or I'm sorry, 2007. Yeah. At the age of 94, and he returned the brain back to Princeton. He did. He actually kind of bequeathed it to the resident pathologist at Princeton University Hospital. Right. Um, who basically now is shackled with this thing. Yeah. To towed it around. Um, and an extra little aside, which I thought was pretty interesting, a guy named uh, Michael Paternity wrote a book called That's Driving with Mr. Albert. Michael Paternity? That's the way I took it. That's a great name. Yeah. Um, he wrote a book called Driving with Mr. Albert, right. I believe, yeah. and it is about driving on one of the many cross-country trips that Harvey took with Einstein's brain. Yeah. Apparently, he did it a lot. Yeah. Sounds so, like a movie in the works. I, I think so, too. It's going to beat Tuesday with Maury, I can tell you. Yeah. So uh, stick around, because it is correction time. And today, we have a correction for me. 
Yes. This is not Chuck. Actually, Chuck argued against what I said. I was right for a change. Chuck is supported by yet another person who mistakenly thinks my first name is Brian. My name's Josh. Uh, Chuck's last name is Bryant, but thank you anyway. Uh, Misha Bailey. Uh-huh. Misha Bailey pointed out uh, in a podcast, well, we'll play the clip. It's from How China's Pollution Sniffers Work. Uh, listen to this. You know, have, have you ever eaten Jelly Belly jelly beans? Uh, I'm not a jelly bean guy. These things are not jelly beans. All right. Anyway, if you get a bag of these oh, things, I know what you mean. on like, the back it says, like, you know, two blueberry plus one, I think, toasted marshmallow creates, like, the flavor of, like, a, um, a blueberry muffin. Right. So there's different recipes. You I've can come these. up with your own. It's very fun. Are these the ones that are kind of nasty, too? Like, they have booger and uh No booger jalapeno that I've come across. And- I think you're confusing uh, Harry Potter. With reality again, Chuck. Yeah, well, I have no idea. <laughs> uh, it, as it turns out, Chuck, I was wrong. Right. Jelly Belly does indeed make a booger-flavored jelly bean. I knew I hadn't imagined that in some fantasy that I had. So, <laughs> basically, um, there's a special edition called Bean Boozled. Right. And Jelly Belly has gone to the trouble of making identical-looking jelly beans with radically different tastes. Right. Like black licorice, which is bad enough, uh-huh. um, is also... Uh, there, there's another one that looks like the black licorice one, but it's uh, skunk spray. Right. Um, and specifically, there's one that's juicy pear. Uh-huh. And in other cases, it's booger-flavored. Booger-flavored. They have ten different flavors. Thank you, Jelly Belly. Yeah. And thank you, Misha Bailey, for proving me wrong. Yeah. If you want to prove either one of us wrong or tell us, you know, what you think, what's on your mind. Give us what for. Perhaps you have a man crush on one or both of us. Right. You can send an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And speaking of podcasts, Chuck. Uh, yeah, I wanted to give uh, just a quick mention to uh, one of our other podcasts called Brain Stuff mm. from uh, the founder of our awesome uh, company, uh, Marshall, Marshall Brain. Brain. Actually, his real last name, too. Yeah, he has his own uh, podcast called Brain Stuff and... There's a really cool one up there now called What Are Hot Dogs Made From? <laughs> Fascinating stuff. So before you get go to the next ball game and wolf down that hot dog, you should listen to this. Either that or if you really want to eat a hot dog, you should probably wait until afterward. Yeah, I would recommend that. Yeah. So uh, you can check that out like our uh, podcasts on iTunes. And uh, you can learn even more about Albert Einstein's brain by typing in a combination of those words in our search bar on HowStuffWorks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?